Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning that it's not suitable for children and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. As protectors of the community, police are expected to be tough. But what happens when they take their aggression home and are violent with the people they're supposed to love? It's something most of us find unimaginable. But cops crossing the line is a growing problem in Australia. Equally concerning is the apparent willingness of many of their colleagues to look the other way when it comes to investigating these crimes. Victorian Assistant Commissioner for Family Violence, Lauren Calloway, concedes failings and says police must improve. We can do better. I appreciate all the reasons why people may not trust police, they've had bad experiences, but my commitment is that going forward we will do better on this. In 2021, Victoria Police announced the formation of a specialist unit to investigate cases of family violence involving its own employees. It was placed within the existing Ethical Standards Command, which investigates complaints against police. The unit consisted of 11 dedicated officers, with a remit to investigate the most serious and complex allegations 
as well as overseeing all family violence cases involving officers across Victoria. It was an Australian first, but not Vicpol's first attempt at stamping out corruption around assaults committed by officers. In 2014, they set up Task Force Salus to investigate allegations of sexual harassment or assault against current and former Victorian police personnel. It's since been renamed the Sexual Offences and Family Violence Unit, or SOFU, and you'll be hearing a bit about it today, although I'm sad to say it won't be particularly positive. That's because despite the increased funding and specialised units, as we'll hear, the system is still a minefield for a family violence victim whose abuser is a cop, even if the victim is a cop herself. Mary joins us today to tell us about the attempts she and her children have made to have their allegations of family violence fully investigated by Victoria Police. Mary is not her real name. She'd be putting herself at risk of serious legal repercussions if she spoke freely. But as a former copper herself, who was forced out of the job she loved, she's determined to keep fighting for herself and for other victims. We're joined also by Jeremy King, who's the head of the police misconduct team at Robinson Gill Lawyers. We begin with Jeremy explaining to us why Mary can't speak out under her own name. One issue I think is worth starting with is one to point out how brave Mary is being here today, both as a DV survivor and also as a former officer. Unfortunately, both the culture and the law we have in Victoria does not encourage or really allow for police officers to speak out about things within their own organisation. And you can see the purpose behind some of those laws, because obviously police shouldn't be divulging confidential information through their job. Obviously, they're dealing with some of the most sensitive things you could ever imagine. But the downside to some of those laws that they also can't talk about things that they say they can't blow the whistle as freely or easily as perhaps you or I could. Even though I, as a Victorian, might be upset if I knew that such a person was rising through the ranks of Victoria Police unhindered. Yeah, no, the system is not designed, in my view, to allow people within Victoria Police to call out bad behaviour. And it relies entirely on people being brave people getting sick, people being fed up, or people just having enough or having a breakdown before it usually gets to that point, in my experience. And we know how common that is. We know there's a a mental health crisis in policing, I would say, not just in Victoria policing. We know that. And we hear constantly about the efforts that are made to improve upon that. We don't hear that from members, I have to say. We hear that from, you know, the hierarchy. We, We hear that from the executive. From members, we don't hear that. And we are joined today by a member, by Mary, who joins us because, Mary, you tell us why you're joining us to tell your story. I think for me, it's important to get my story out so that other people understand that you're not alone, but also that it can be fixed and victims of family violence and other offences do have the courage and will be treated respectfully and with dignity. And for me, having been subject to a public interest disclosure, it's literally a gag on me. The only people who that allowed me to talk to were my solicitors, a psychologist or psychiatrist and my doctor. Um, So for me, it's been two years of complete and utter silence, not being able to even talk to my friends and family about what had what had happened to me. Um, obviously, I'd spoken to them beforehand, and they made statements and and stuff for me in relation to the criminal aspect. But for me, very isolating. It's a shame you told me just a moment ago before we started recording that you loved being a copper. Oh, I love my job. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And you worked in some heavy duty squads. I mean, how many years were you on the job? Twenty two. Yeah, and you did everything. Yeah, I was obviously general duties when I first started over in the wild, wild west. (laughs) Hey, I live there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, moved over to the southeastern suburbs, uh, worked around the crime department, and then, yeah, got promotion back out southeast to sergeant, and then, yeah, did quite a few different squads and stuff upgraded. And my last role was actually working in family violence 
which I was very passionate about purely because no one was helping me. I needed to be able to help everybody else that wasn't getting the help that I was getting from Victoria Police. That's the thing that I'm, I'm so conflicted about this story. I'm not conflicted about telling your story at all, but reading your statement reminds me of how much I love Victoria Police. I love Vic Paul as well, you know, because I get to meet so many great members, retired members who've given so much. And it just reminds me of while you're dealing with so much at home, you're out there at the coalface. You talked about particularly stressful things, moments, days you had on the job. You talked about when you had younger kids and you had to go out to a couple of jobs where young people had taken their own lives and you were the first responder. Things like that that we so often don't think about when we think about what police do on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, when we put on that uniform, it's like you're putting on a, a, an armour and we are human. I had two young kids going through when I was getting doing my detective training, so that was a lot of hours away from my kids, a lot of shift work. I missed out on so much of my kids um, growing up, but then we still do housework, we still cook dinner, we're still normal people, we still have families, we still do everything. So for me, some of the time going to work from what I was going through was my escape to go to work and get away from everything that was happening at home and then having to deal with everybody else's um, problems and stuff as well. I mean, when police are called, it's not usually a good good reason why we're there. We might be lucky to have a baby born on the side of the road, but (laughs) yeah. yeah, Those days are rare, I would think. Very rare. And at the same time at home, you were in an abusive relationship. How long did it take you to realise, do you think, and I say realise because we've found that, that women talk about realising they're in an abusive relationship? Yeah, it wasn't until after our eldest daughter was born. And I think the realisation for him was, I've got her now. We've got a kid. I'm stuck. And back then, we weren't earning much money. We had a mortgage uh, and everything as well. And it was like a realization that now I've got her. I was exhausted by dealing with what was going on at home and then having to go to work and deal with the same thing at work as well and worse situations. So that impact is huge. And for Anyone else in those situations, I think it's, you don't, sometimes you just don't realise it's happening because mm. the coercive behaviour to start with is just so minute and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I wasn't allowed to see any of my family anymore. I wasn't allowed to go out. And if I did go out, uh, one night I did go out when he he barricaded the door, I couldn't get back in the house. Um, the minute I walked in, Walked to the kitchen. I had my head, my hair pulled, dragged to the ground, kicked and punched because I went out for a drink after work. I guess for me, the only bonus was that he was never violent to the children as he was with me. And he always made sure that when it was occurring, that they were very asleep or not in the house. But then the children did wake up and come out on some occasions and see me cleaning up, you know, holes on in the wall or broken glass. I think it's important for the public to understand that I go to work and if I pulled over a car and the the person was abusive towards me, I'm just like, you've got no idea what I've, or even a job that I've been to beforehand, what I've just had to do. And then to be abused, that's not, to be treated sometimes that way is just really hurtful. Did the culture of the police play into it at all? Because it was a very, it seemed like you had a very traditional idea around marriage and the relationship, that his job was more important than yours, that he would progress through the ranks, you would stay home with the kids, you shouldn't go out even for after work drinks, you should come straight home. And I'm just trying to get an image of how blokey being in the coppers still was in your day. Oh, huge. Yeah. As a female officer back when I started, we never got spoken to, even by the sergeants and senior sergeants. You were worry women in the job. And that was the culture. But definitely, even to the point where I get home and, you know, he'd sit on the couch 
everything had to be done by the wife. But definitely, um, I was very much told, you're the mum, you're to be at home with the children. Yeah, it was very much about his career and his promotion and his ego. A lot of it was ego and egotistical behaviours in terms of, I've got to keep getting promotion. He ended up in some pretty big task forces without very big, naming them. Yeah. Yes, some very big task force, a lot of big jobs and stuff that he worked on whilst he was climbing up through the ranks and stuff. Very good at his job, don't get me wrong, but it was more important to him than, than his family for sure. His attitude towards sex is pretty disturbing. Yeah, so unfortunately for me, there was a so many, so many occasions where I was um, forced um, to have sex. I would also receive multiple, multiple text messages during the day at work harassing me for photos or, and then I'd get abused if I wasn't sending um, photos. And when you say forced, it's interesting. Jeremy, if I can cut to you, you're our legal expert. What I've noticed in some correspondence between Mary and another police member who interviewed you about these matters later is that when you talked about what you said was forced sex, and I would tend to agree, um, literally kicking you in the back and physically kicking you out of bed to the point that once you hit your head on a bedside table and you were knocked unconscious, demanding sex, climbing into the shower with you after you were separated. And the other police member saying, no, that's not, that doesn't count as forced sex, or that may not seem forced in a court situation. And harassing Mary for photos of her breasts while she's at work isn't a crime. I was fascinated by that because I thought, if you sent me those texts while I was at work, Jeremy, surely that would be sexual harassment. But if it's your spouse, it's not. I think it's a pretty outdated concept to think that, you know, that you can't have rape in marriage. Yeah, I mean, right. I thought that went out in the 70s, didn't it? That's what it sounded like to me. That's what it read like to me. So, yeah, no, the, the law has definitely moved on since that time, and those are some pretty outdated concepts, none of which necessarily surprised me, given my experience. You know, I didn't, I'm on the other side of the fence, but it's certainly been my experience that Victoria Police is a very hyper-masculine organisation, and it doesn't shock me that, that those were the views. Consent is certainly far greater than just saying, well, you're in a marriage or you're in a relationship you still need to have proper consent. Otherwise, there are legal consequences that flow from that. Because, Mary, you, you talk very specifically in a number of documents about saying many, many times no, saying no many times, and him using various ways, kicking, yelling. Punching. Yeah. Choking and all of it. So obviously having worked in certain areas, consent in the Crimes Act, if you're in fear for your safety or what have you, and and it happens and you're not fighting back, that is rape. You talk specifically about eventually giving in. Yes. Just to make it yeah, so start I, so it can end, basically. Absolutely. And to be sitting there with another detective sergeant and for them to say to me, oh, but you submitted, yeah. um, which is not an offence. Um, you're married and that was... Uh, I can't explain the words to describe the devastation. Yeah, pretty much told me that there's no offending here. I couldn't see anything in my statement as to why there would be a reason for them to go ahead. For me to sit there in the room with a detective senior sergeant and a detective sergeant to be asked, am I sure that I wanted to do this. Um, are you sure you want to go through with this? He's an inspector. You're only a sergeant. Do you really want to put your children through another five or so years of of trauma? It was the most out-of-body experience for me, knowing the law and knowing that, hang on, <laughs> I thought we were way past this behaviour. The whole purpose of coming forward was because Victoria Police have you know, they publicise we have our own specific unit now, SOFU, who investigate the Family Violence and Sex Offences Unit. We have our own standalone policies and procedures in relation to family violence involving members. So I honestly thought, 
over the whole 19 years that I was being abused that finally I can come forward and be treated with dignity and respect and being part of that blue family that we're all supposed to wrap our arms around together and look after each other and to sit there and listen to those words come out of two members was horrific. I remember walking, driving home and I sat in my garage for two hours just sobbing that this was happening to me. And the worst part for me was walking out of that station and thinking, wow, after 19 years, if this is how I'm treated as a member of the Blue family, the biggest devastation for me was what is happening to the civilian or public victims who finally after 19 years or however, 5, 10, 1 year, finally having the courage to come forward and report it. I just hope that no one got that treatment that I that I received, but unfortunately. Oh, I hate to say it, but I, I mean, know. imagine if you're a woman with a, a drug addiction or imagine if you're an Aboriginal woman or imagine if you're... Or English is your second language. Any oh. of the things, any of the things that can be used against women. Mm. And even over the 19, you know, over the time that it was happening, there was very much a big stigma. Uh, no different to the mental health um, sort of stigma. So family violence or issues that were happening in the home, they stayed in the home yeah. and they stayed behind closed doors. And um, fortunately, my ex-husband was very good at just turning into a completely different person within an instant. And he always said to me, if you ring the police, you know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to walk in and see you absolutely beside yourself and crying and all that sort of stuff. And I'm going to be able to stand up there as a the male, yeah, the male police officer in this. And he would say to me, and I'm higher rank than you and I would probably be higher rank than the members coming to the house. And he'll be able to say, look at her, she's crazy. Yes, and that's what he said. I'll just tell him you're crazy and you'll never see your kids again and I will take you for every cent that you have. So you'll have no money and you'll have no kids. It's so interesting because I noticed that the police officer who interviewed you said to that, he said, oh, come on, you're a member. You know that it doesn't work that way. You know the court system doesn't work that way. I thought, well, I'm not a member and I know it does. So I found that just a... And that's where we still are What a today. privileged perspective for a man, you know, a white policeman to have, for mm. him to say, oh, come on, as if that could happen. Yeah. Oh, it happens. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And there were times when I did speak to colleagues and told them what was going on and we are bound by mandatory reporting that if we do, someone does disclose something to us, and me another member, that we are to report it. You can't unhear it. You can't unsee it. You have to do something about it. And unfortunately for me, <laughs> that never happened either. No, I saw one note where... Somebody said, I wish you'd told us that you were going to take out an IVO because now it's more paperwork to do. Yeah. So it all came about my youngest daughter, she would have been just 16 at the time. She was on her way home from a football match. This is after um, the girls and I had left and um, she rang me and I could hear the argument and he was just screaming at her and and then I realised, oh, I'm not supposed to be speaking. I need to just listen because I've always told her, record it, ring me so I can hear what's going on. And um, the minute he realised I was on the phone, oh, hi, how you going? I'm like, and then she got home and she's like, mum, I can't do this anymore. Can you please get an intervention order out on your on dad? Now for me or any other police officer, there is a different ramification of having an intervention order than what it would be for a member of the public. So in your workplace, if you get an intervention order, they don't even have to know. Like, yeah. Whereas for us, like a police member, once you have that intervention order, there are some consequences. Will everyone know? Like what's the level of privacy? So there would be no privacy if, okay. if you're a member and you had an intervention order. Everyone's going to know because we have a qualification called an OS qualification where we um, that's when we can carry a firearm and we work on the van and so forth. So obviously with intervention orders, you're not allowed to. We take firearms off members of the public. 
and so forth. So your OST is suspended. So you can't go out. Your gun's locked up. There's a thing in the watch house saying don't give them a gun. So everyone knows. Don't give the gun. So everyone knows that you'd have an intervention order. So after a year of us getting the intervention order, he took one out on me. Of course. An application. He didn't get the intervention. It was just an application and some ends. But again, I lost my OS qualification, which then also means that I can't get promotion because every position you go for, you have to be OS qualified. So I couldn't even get promotion. So I was then disadvantaged in the workplace as well. But going back to my daughter, when she begged for me to get the intervention order, my first thought, and as for the whole 19, 20 years of our time together, it was like, how's this going to affect him? I can't do this. It's going to affect his job. He's going to get angry. And then I had this epiphany moment when it was like, wait a minute, we got out of the house. What am I doing? It is not about him anymore. Yeah, you're still walking on eggshells. Still still, walking on eggshells. And I was just like, no, my child is my responsibility. When I did speak to Victoria Police about the family violence and everything that was going on, the initial uh, conversation I had with PSC, so that's Professional Standards Command, they investigate. That's what in the movies used to be called um, internal affairs. Yeah. Yeah. They're the unit who investigate police. Well, in the movies, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so speaking with them, obviously relaying their safety concerns and everything about the ex-husband and he's still behaving uh, in a way where he's abusive, even through text messages with the kids, myself and, and everything that was still going on. And knowing what he was capable of doing to me, I was very scared, still very, I got sick, um, security cameras on the house just as a backup to be safe and everything. So normally in those circumstances when there is a concern for safety and so forth, police usually take out a family violence safety notice, which is like an intervention order but issued by police. That didn't occur. Normally they're supposed to come out and speak to the person from the victim of family violence. That didn't happen. They were supposed to ask the 39 marim questions that give you an indication of a risk assessment. Like there are certain questions that give you a score. It's online. And and it's certain questions, you know, like has there been violence while being pregnant, Uh, any animals, children involved. It's a risk assessment tool in order to to ultimately assist. I mean, anyone, different organisations use it, but Big Poll is supposed to use it as well in terms of rating what is the risk and what is going on. Really, I mean, those are questions that have been refined over time to help people determine what is the risk being faced by this person suffering family violence. So then it gives a risk assessment as to whether or not uniform, take courage, continue, or it goes off to the family violence and investigation unit and so forth. So, And they never came. None of those questions were ever asked of me and they must, they're mandatory questions at any family violence incident. Mm. I have no doubt that the LEAP report, so our reporting system, that the reports would not have been done on the time. They have to be done straight away, so they're on the system. Just to explain what LEAP is, LEAP is the database that police use. And so technically every time police have an interaction with somebody, they should record it on LEAP and they should record what happened on LEAP. And that is, you know, that that can be important because it can assist with showing the pattern of behaviour and the history of it and what's sort of been going on. And so I can say, well, you know, if you reported at this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, what you're seeing, unfortunately, in cases like Mary, sadly, whether as a police officer, as a perpetrator, is often LEAP isn't filled out or isn't put in because they don't want necessarily to be an electronic or a paper trail um, that can go back and be used against them down the track. I'm stunned that I mean, what can be done about this? I'm, I'm, I'm sounding incredibly naive, but surely there's got to be the paper trail that you you made the initial complaint, that you and your daughter made the initial complaint or asked for the AVO. And then if the Marum assessment wasn't carried out and the report wasn't put into the LEAP system, I mean, can you take legal action about that? I mean, well, it would not have existed. So if he then had of another incident had had have occurred, and as, as Jeremy mentioned, we keep track of them, obviously, and look in how many. And that's one thing we have to report on every time we go to an incident. How many previous incidents has there been? So that wouldn't have been reported. But don't get me wrong. 
There's a difference between, say, the members on the van at the police stations, brilliant yep. in doing that that work. But when you're then going reporting to a higher ranking people who don't usually do that sort of work, have not complied with any of the policies procedure or anything in relation to my incidents. It's very frightening. Yeah, well, the other terrifying part that Mary's probably not talking about as well is that say something had been put on leap, is there nothing to stop the offender within police from accessing that? Yeah. So right. in any other organisation, if you worked at NAB, yep. all right, and you start looking up your, I don't know, sister-in-law's yeah. mortgage details, you get flagged ping straight away. There is nothing on the LEAP system that protects anybody from accessing that database. I thought there was and now. And then utilising, absolutely not. He will, no, they what, will what, notice what? when you check your own name or there's it, oh. it will ping after the fact. Right. Not stop or you from Or only looking. if there's an audit that's specifically done for that person. They can then go back and look at what you've noticed, but there's nothing that pings straight away to say this person is looking up this and really it has, you know, it's for personal gain. It's got nothing to do with anything they're investigating or the job that they're doing because LEAP was built in the 80s. And I, I'm not kidding. When you know, you remember MS-DOS? Yes. Are you old enough to remember yeah, MS-DOS? Yeah, I am. I really am. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Like this is the least sophisticated system you could possibly think of. So with everything we know now about family violence, about the risk, the riskiest times for women, about offenders when they're most under pressure, when they're most unpredictable, when they're most violent... We're in a situation now where you have applied for an AVO and it's not been handled correctly. It's not been tracked properly. It's not been assessed properly. Your danger levels haven't been assessed properly. That's very frightening. It's very frightening, but it's all too common. I mean, I can think of several other cases where there's a form called an L17 form that I'm sure Mary is... What is that? Very familiar with. That's another risk assessment tool that Victoria Police is supposed to do, particularly when there's kids involved. And I've seen those not be utilised. I've seen leap entries not been put in. And, you know, if you if you go back a step, I mean, just think about the situation that Mary's in where her ex is saying to her, well, I'm, I rank higher yep. than the people who are going to investigate and look at this. Think about the conflict that is inherent right then and there. Yeah. And the massive hurdle or disincentive there is ever going to be for anyone to report that offending because you know that your offending is going to be investigated by your ex or your partner or whoever it might be, their own organisation. And if he outranks them and they have this, there's a weird kind of, it's a separate idea about militarisation within Victoria Police, but they have a weird ranking system. It's going to be pretty rare that people are going to want to go against someone who is more senior than them. Yeah. So... It's a conflict within a conflict within a conflict. And what that does is make people like Mary, quite rightly, say, well, I'm not going to report. I'm not going to do anything about this because I don't trust that the organisation that is his employer. Yeah, but this new unit was supposed to fix that. It was supposed to circumnavigate all of that. The unit is still Victoria Police. It is, but it was supposed to do away with this whole rank issue. That's what I don't understand. You know, unless, Mary, you were married to the king, then I don't understand. But you can't have a, it, it, it doesn't matter the rank. It, it, yeah. it is still an organisation investigating their right. Yeah. And it is still an organisation that no matter where that unit is and no matter what their intentions are, they still get to pick and choose what they take on and what they don't take on. There's no oversight on that. So no one's going to know what they did and didn't take on. And it's also, at the end of the day, it's still police investigating police. Well, then what's the alternative? Because having spoken to some high-ranking members of Victoria Police. I know this was a dream. This was a genuine attempt, and I believe in their heart of hearts, this was a genuine attempt to fix a problem that has existed since the dawn of time. So what's the alternative then? Because this was the attempt by the, the assistant commissioners to create a body that stood outside of the sort of local stations so that you, Mary, didn't have to go and report this like most of us do to our local station where your husband might have worked and so you weren't reporting it to his mates. It was so that you'd be able to go to this huge body that theoretically didn't know who you were, although that wouldn't have worked in in this case, clearly. So what's the alternative? Well, the the alternative is clearly independent oversight. So the alternative is like, if you you make a complaint about a doctor, you Mm -hmm. don't go to the doctor's practice, you go to APRA. (laughs) 
Right. You know, if you make a complaint about a police officer, you should be able to go to an independent organisation that can independently assess your complaint, investigate your complaint, and then make sure that you get some sort of outcome as a result of that. If you complain about NAB, you're going to AFCA. I don't see why people who are complaining about police, where often the stakes are a lot higher, have to complain to the same organisation and they get to deal with it all completely in-house in their own control and in their own time with no oversight of what they're doing. But all of those bodies use police ultimately. When we're making, you know, very high-level complaints about banking, about doctors, about any of those industries, ultimately they, they're using police to investigate no, they've them. Got, they've got their own investigators. They've got their own staff that they train and deal okay. with it. I think that's a common misconception that, that, that they're using police for this sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, police often might get involved if there's some sort of criminal aspect to it, but most of the time there's not a criminal aspect to it and they're looking at all sorts of different stuff. Uh, obviously, in a doctor's situation, it's pretty serious some of the stuff they're investigating that APRA will be looking at yeah. and we're looking at you know potentially banning them if they've stepped out of line. But similarly, you can have also organisations that are also empowered to bring criminal charges. And we have that in Victoria. We have IBAC. IBAC can bring criminal charges against officers and they have the power to do that when they need to do that. But the problem with IBAC is they only take 1% of complaints. So you are going to be one of the very, very fortunate few if IBAC take on your complaint and actually do something with it. And who does the investigating for them? Because in They this... have their own internal investigators. Right. Because in this situation, I would say surely... There are a number of people who have made terrible decisions and have really let Mary and her family down. I would say people need to explain how it is that they have not deliberately decided not to investigate this case in a way that they are chartered to investigate cases of family violence. Why did they not carry out the Marum test, is it? Why did they not log it in the LEAP system? Why? Explain to me why you didn't, sir. I mean, I think these are really serious questions that need to be answered because I feel like her family's been put in actual danger by the standards that we now understand when we talk about family violence. That's right. But the system as we currently have will not be able to look at that properly and will not be able to get into that because, you know, you have IBAC, which people probably know about in the media because they do all sorts of government corruption, but a big well, they're also supposed to do police misconduct, but they've got such limited resources and also they take on such few complaints, something like 10 to 13 a year. You know, Mary, Mary hasn't really got a hope in that situation of getting someone independent to ask the questions that you're asking, get the information and then give her an outcome and say, this should have happened, this didn't happen, this should have happened, this didn't happen. Because criminal charges are at one end of the spectrum and that that does happen, but the majority of the time... People just want to be able to say, this happened, this, this, this form wasn't filled out and it had some pretty significant consequences for me. This risk assessment wasn't done. And you want someone independent to look at, then make recommendations to Victoria Police who can then potentially discipline that officer or who are then potentially supposed to change their policies and procedures. But unless you have external pressure on Victoria Police, there's no incentive for them to change. There's no incentive for them to do anything about it. And the status quo remains. We reached out to Victoria Police for comment on Mary's allegations and later in this episode of Australian True Crime, we'll share their response with you. If you would like to speak to someone about family violence support services, you can call the 1800 Respect National Support Helpline on 1800 737 732 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The criminal matters for me are not going ahead. The Office of Public Prosecutions uh, reviewed my case and because I could not particularise every date and time that I was assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted, that he wouldn't be charged with those matters. There is uh, a diversion so what he was charged with contravention of the um, interim intervention order by posting photos of my daughter on Facebook, black and white. Absolutely. There's no, you can't refute that. So he was under a court order to not post photos of the girl. Correct. So that was one of the conditions of the intervention order, the interim intervention order, I should say. And he was given a diversion. So that's literally... <laughs> the idea is you're diverting someone out of the criminal justice system. Right. So it's supposed to be, again, for low-level crimes, first-time offenders. Yeah, I've only ever heard that for, like, drug addicts. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so, you know, that's exactly right. You know, the, so the idea is, as I say, it's diverting you out of the criminal justice system. So in this case, what happens? Does he go and pick up garbage at the beach for no, a weekend? Or so he was also charged with assaulting my youngest daughter. So there was an unlawful char- unlawful assault charge in there as well at the same time as the breach of intervention. Right? There was quite a few breaches, but they rolled them all into just one, one offence. And he was given the opportunity of if we withdraw the unlawful assault against my daughter, would he agree to the diversion? So kind of admitting guilt um, that he did do it. So the diversion consisted of $2,000 fine. He has to attend men's behavioural classes. I think there's 20 weeks. The fine was a donation to the court and the court then passed on the donation and then had to be of good behaviour for 12 months. So that comes back up into court at the end of the year. And has that impacted on his career at all? Not at all. It's not classed as a conviction. So with Victoria Police, obviously, there's the two streams. There's the discipline stream and then there's the criminal stream. Um, There are other discipline matters that he was going to face as well. Quite a few. And uh, that weren't related to you. Oh, some related to me, but not all of them related to me. Some of them were work related um, as well. And this was around about the same. T- so his diversion was in December and then he was given the opportunity and resigned around March. So within that time, December to March, and this was around about the same time that Mr. Patton was on TV um, and sending emails out to all the members. Saying, Mr. Patton's the commissioner. Sorry, the chief commissioner. Police. Sorry, I call yep. it Mr. Patton. The boss. Yep. Um, the boss. Saying that, you know, we will hold people to account. You will, you know, be disciplined and you will lose your job. The message couldn't be clearer. And if you're involved in that bad behaviour, you will be gone. A black and white ultimatum issued to the thin blue line because too many are crossing it. It is severe because we as an organisation can't afford to have our reputation tarnished by a very small few. My daughters and I are watching the news that night and we just all laughed because really, like it was devastating. And don't get me wrong, in terms of the investigation side of it, because Sofu didn't take on my investigation because of conflict of interest, it then got given to a superintendent at a, a regional. And then once my statement was made and she saw what was in my statement, she put her hand up and said, I'm not qualified to do this kind of work, which I'm 
at least she put her hand up and didn't just fluff around with my investigation. And then it got given to um, a detective superintendent. So obviously with the rank structure, the investigating member has to be of higher rank than the person who's been investigated. She did oh, amazing job. Oh, great. She really did. But the only problem with it was she also runs a whole division and she's got all these other portfolios and all this other stuff that she has to do. So she was slotting in statements, getting other members to help her out and all that sort of stuff. But even to this day, on the day that I retired from Victoria Police, she was the only one who contacted me to say good luck on your retirement. What about the conditions under which your ex finished up? I mean, when you're saying that Mr Patton's on television saying it's not, it won't be tolerated, around about the same that your ex-partner left. Could that be construed as it not being tolerated? Was he forced look, he out? May have been, look, it may have been in that way. I can't comment, obviously. We don't I know. wasn't there. Okay. It, it's just, a lot of people do retire before they're sacked. Yep. Resigning whilst under investigation is unfortunately pretty common. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Very, very common. Because it's a way of avoiding, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a way of avoiding investigation and scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know as to the process, but I still know that there are other matters that have just, like, what's happening? It is very difficult to get a conviction against a police officer. Often the time when police officers, you know, they've been police officers up to that point, and so they probably haven't had any criminal convictions because if they had a criminal conviction before that, they wouldn't have been a police officer. Yeah. So often they're, they're coming um, and no one can see me doing this because it's a podcast, but with, you know, the rabbit's ears clean record and traditionally our justice system says, well, if you have a clean record, then we're going to take that into account and we're going to take that into account and when we sentence you and you maybe probably won't get a conviction. So you'd see lots of courts looking at all sorts of situations against police officers where they don't make a conviction for that reason. And so... You know, this is something that a lot of people have said for a long time, that the justice system needs to change a little bit, needs to say, well, actually, they hold a position of power and they've abused that power to the point where it's been proven beyond reasonable doubt that they've committed offence and they're going to take that into account. And then on top of that, you have all of the other things that Mary's been talking about, about people who don't report, mm. about evidence that isn't taken, you know, because we are talking about evidence. When you're talking about not logging things on leap, that's yeah. evidence. And so people are up against it when they're actually trying to go through the justice system. They are trying to get convictions. And so there are very few convictions against Victoria Police and even less in the DV space. You know, I think for me too, the biggest devastation was, so I had multiple court hearings over the last two years for the intervention order. Obviously he was contesting it. And within those hearings, we also had them criminal side running at the same time with the civil side. So the intervention order and then the breaching and the, the unlawful assault and so forth. Whilst that was happening, my matters are still being sent between the AC, the Office of Public, Pro, Pro, Public Pro, Prosecution. Office of Public <laughs> Prosecution, OPP. Yeah. So a lot of time frame going past because of the, the intricacies of my complaint. And then in February last year, I was standing in the court, in the foyer of the magistrate's court with the solicitors re representing me from the application for the my intervention order. His solicitors were there, but with me was those solicitors from VicPol, then um, my solicitor who was representing me for the application that my ex-husband had against me for an intervention order. The informant walked in and said, we can go ahead now with all of the intervention order hearings because the brief has been unauthorised for the other charges that I'd reported. Because the OPP gave the opinion that, because I couldn't particularise every date and time, um, that the offending occurred, the brief is not withdrawn, no charges were ever laid, but it's what we call non-authorised in terms of it'll sit there, it can be reopened, but it's non-authorised in terms of they won't be serving charges. So, yes, yeah, standing in that courtroom. And so that's when you found out. So you're standing there waiting for one matter and just before you go in to deal with that, you find out they're not going to press charges on the violence, the, the sexual assaults, all of that. It's not happening. Yes. So that bombshell went off and then literally the informant and the police prosecutors all walked off into a room and left me standing in the foyer of the court with my solicitor, for me then to look across the body of the foyer and see my ex-husband mm. fist pumping oh. and and everything because he got let off, my solicitor was just like, 
what just happened? Are you okay? And I'm like, just another disappointment from Vicpol. I am so used to this behavior. I, I, it took me a long time to, the shock of it all. I knew it was getting sent off for discussions and everything, but to be told on that day at court, standing in front of my ex-husband, it was ah, just brutal. Oh, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Mm. And again, my thoughts go back to, please tell me that this doesn't happen to a member of the public mm. or a civilian. You know, it's just, and I think the conversations that I had with a lot of members, like one member were taking my statement. She goes, oh, I'm so glad I have a good husband. And I was just like, can we take the blue out of this for a minute? We're actually victims of horrific crimes. I'm still a human being. I still have feelings. I am traumatized. I am everything you can think a victim would be. Yet you're talking to me as if we're debriefing after a job, like after an incident that we've been to. Mm. This is not right. And it also goes to the point when my ex-husband was receiving the diversion. Um, my daughter and I both got the opportunity, thank you to the magistrate, to be able to read our victim impact statements out in court. Oh, wow. He was very good. And I also had the opportunity to write a letter to the magistrate in relation to, I mean, my daughter and I, we always said no to a diversion, but obviously out of our hands in that sort of situation. But writing the letter to the magistrate, he is a police officer. His standard of behaviour is at a higher level. You can't behave that way, but then go and investigate other people behave for behaving the same way. Mm. It's just unfathomable that that can happen. Which is why you would imagine Victoria Police would be more interested and more motivated to investigate his behaviour and his mental health and all sorts of aspects of this case. Um, you know, that's very utopian of me. I understand that, but that is what you would imagine. And that and that goes back to my point of in, obviously it all sort of fell into place at the same time of leaving him, getting the kids out safely. I stayed, unfortunately, I stayed with him um, until the children were above family law court age purely so that I could actually manage the situation, deflect the anger back onto me, keep it away from the children. And the thought of him having custody of those kids and me not being able to protect them at all was just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So there's kind of that twofold as to whether or not I've created more trauma to my children. So as a parent and as a, you know, it's kind of like, did I do the wrong thing um, by staying there? These are the decisions it's women make huge. all the time. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things that I still to this day hate the words coming out of someone's mouth is, why don't they just leave? Because mm. there's so many things mm. that impact your reasoning to leave. I think for me, being a police officer, the embarrassment of my situation, you know, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be resilient. You're supposed to, you know, uphold the law and all that sort of stuff. But when you're in that family violence situation to the point where you have no self-respect anymore, you are demoralized, you are just deflated as a person to the point where as a mother, my emotions were non-existent. Having dealt with different perpetrators in different situations of family violence, I find the Vic Pole perpetrators and it, it's across the whole realm, same sex, mm, um, absolutely. you know, mm. the females, the perpetrators, it, it's just, it, there's no, it happens, it happens happen to everywhere. Everyone. Yeah. Every suburb, every socioeconomic group, you're right, every gender group. And I mean, like I know in, in this, um, day and age that we're in now with family violence and it's fantastic the the coverage that it's getting now to help victims but if you can't even help a victim member and I, I don't expect but I actually thought I probably should have got that extra layer of 
enthusiasm, I guess you yeah. could say, to investigate also, one matter properly. Also, I would have properly. sort of thought expediency just because you were speaking the same language. Yes. I would have thought you'll know how to to give your statement properly or better or faster. Well, or, that's the terrifying thing, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that I've had clients who are from, you know, educated backgrounds or even a, a police officer and they still can't get the same access to justice that they deserve because there are still police involved and then there's still another member involved in it. And one thing we haven't probably talked a lot about as well, there is a culture within Victoria Police of member welfare. Yeah. And, and, and I get that. Like, you know, as in you, obviously in any organisation, you should be looking after your staff and you should be making sure, you know, that you have EAPs and, and that, you know, if you see someone in trouble, call it out. But because there's that conflict, mm, yeah, there's a conflict between member welfare and, you know, some of the questions that were put to Mary were, what, what's it going to do to him? What's it going to do to his job? How is it going to affect his mental health? But those are questions that really should be for an employer, no doubt, but they shouldn't be for an investigator. They shouldn't be for someone looking at it. What they should be doing is, is hearing what Mary's saying and processing it in the same way as everybody else. I suppose the other thing, it is different. If you're reporting against someone who's a police officer, they have got a firearm. Yeah. You know, you have to factor that in. They have a firearm. Yep. They have access to LEAP, which is what we were talking about before. And so they can look up everything about you and your friends, your family, if they want to, and they have access to all sorts of that sort of information. And they also know the system. And those are three massive things that women have, and it's so like in my experience, it's invariably women have got to deal with when making that decision about whether to report or not. You have a much heightened sense of danger than anyone else in the public, but our system doesn't recognize that. And the system we have currently doesn't deal well at all when there is a police officer on the other side. And, and, and in my view, software will never work, no. to be honest. And I, and I, even with the best intentions, it will never work. The only thing that will ever work is if you have uh, an independent organisation that people can complain to, including police officers. I think the most scary part for me is in terms of, as Jeremy was saying, that if the victim is not a member but the perpetrator is part of the boys' oh club. God, yeah. That's scary that yeah. they're part of that group of people. And as much as everyone can say that, you know, times have changed in terms of the culture within VicPol, particularly with female and, and male members now, just in the normal work environment, all that victim would see is the male copper friends that he hangs yeah. out with and stuff. And for me, my parents were absolutely, my mum in particular was absolutely beside herself, knowing that some of the work in the squads that my husband had been in, that he has access to criminals. And as much as I'm trying to say to mum, you know, she goes, this is my fear, Mary, that that's how I feel. She's petrified because he knows the system, because he knows how to do things without getting caught. Like when he used to assault me, he always made sure it was in areas where it's not visible. It was under my uniform. And because they do know the system, it's really quite scary in those terms. I just think you've got to like understand that, that stories like Mary's are common but are rarely told. You know, as we sort of talked about, there are lots of reasons behind that. But I think it's really important. And just sitting here listening to it again, I was just thinking... You know, I have heard all of this before, but you don't hear it that often from police officers. And I think that's something that's missed a lot by some of the discussion in this area is because, you know, you, you worry about being reprimanded, you're worried about your career, you're worried about, you know, recriminations and all that sort of stuff, but also you're probably just worried about, you know, in your sense, your own safety, that there are so many barriers to reporting within police. So I just think it's important to understand that, you need a, a system of independent oversight to be able to look at this stuff dispassionately, objectively, but also have an avenue for somewhere to go. Because right now, if you don't want to complain to VicPol in Victoria about something that's happened with VicPol, you ain't got nowhere to go. And it's amazing too, like throughout this entire process, you know, I've had members come up to me when I was working and say, oh my God, we've just heard what's happened, are you okay? And I'm like, well, you're actually not probably supposed to know, but it's just rife through it. But then the biggest thing for me was working out who 
was aligning themselves with who. And I lost a lot of friends over the last two years because I, he, he's a great bloke. Well, also he's got seniority. Yep. Even family and friends from our marriage that haven't spoken to me or my children uh, since it all came out. Uh, it's devastating. It's devastating. But it, it, it actually gives you clarity as to who's important in your life and who is going to be beside you through all this process. But even having said that, like, I have not had contact with VicPol since October last year. And they're supposed to contact me and speak to me regularly in relation to being off on work cover. So I ended up going on work cover because I just could not deal with the lack of investigation, the lack of care of how they were treating me um, after I reported everything that had been happening and it just got all too much. Um, the treatment I got, you know, is it worth it? Do you really want to do this? Um, just still. And, yeah, having to retire. Um, as much as I love my job, absolutely love my job, the thought of working for a police force that can't look after their own it's just all too much. Yeah, because you're still a young woman. You don't look to me like a woman who should be retired. No. Well under retirement age. Yeah. Not only have they not done their job properly, they have also haven't looked after the welfare of one member, two, and victim. Yeah. A Victorian woman who's yeah. reporting a crime. Yeah. Yeah, who's yeah. Re reporting rape. And family violence. It's really that simple. Yeah. And basic, basic protocols have not been followed. Yeah. And then we get to why. It's frightening beyond being upsetting, very upsetting. It's these protocols haven't been followed and your safety has not been prioritised. It's terrifying to me. We're just lucky that he didn't do anything bad. This is it. Yeah. Uh, after all the promises we've been made about improving these things for women. It's really frightening. As a police officer, my go-to to my junior members when I was supervising them was, all I want you to think about, have you done your job to the nth degree that, God forbid, you ever have to get called to a coroner's court, that you can stand up and say, yep. And I can tell you, they would have to say no. If something were to happen, it's, it's to just me. a matter of time in the current system we have before there is another inquest. Well, thank God we are talking to you and not yes. about you, Mary, thank as we have you. had to talk about so many women in this room. Now that you have retired, which sucks and wasn't what you wanted to be doing at this time of your life, but have you been able to put some of this behind you, even though it's not the way you wanted to? It's been a process. I um, bet. Because my kids and I still to this day. I had my dark days. I had two weeks the other week where I just like was in bed for a whole two weeks. If I have a psychologist appointment that afternoon, I'm like, don't, I'm not doing anything. I'm in this space now, like 12 months ago, there's no way I could talk about it. I would have been bawling my eyes out the entire time. I speak to my um, my mum and I say it's like a, a grief. Yeah. You know, uh, you go through your sad period, um, your angry period, um, and now it's like, nah, enough. Yeah. I'm actually going to do something that will not only help so many people in this state and have people understand it can happen, and unfortunately I shouldn't say that word, it can happen, it does happen to anyone. Mm. I'm living proof as a police officer of 22 years. I just, I hope that this can be a great learning lesson from Victoria Police on what not to do and understand the trauma, the ongoing trauma that, that has caused me and my children over the last two years, which shouldn't take this long. It should not still be going. And you know, the whole purpose of the Family Violence Code of Conduct and the Family Violence Royal Commission is, is supposed to be for harm minimisation. And I can tell you, 
my harm has not been minimized throughout this entire process. And I just hope that that comes into play in their thinking and this does not happen to anyone else ever again. We reached out to Victoria Police seeking a response to this interview with Mary. They told us they would not be supplying anyone for an interview, so we emailed them through some specific allegations, such as the failure of basic protocols being followed in Mary's case, like the Marum questionnaire and the entry of events into the LEAP system. We received a short reply that made no reference to those allegations. You can read both our email and their reply on our Facebook page. Thank you to our guests today, Mary and Jeremy King. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 9276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.